0: We are um, being serenaded by Tuning. It's a very good song. Lisa's playing. Um, let's just see if we. Uh... No, can you go back to the very, very start, please? That'd be lovely. Behaving. Ooh, there we go. Happy days. We're continuing our Ten Commandments journey, and we're going from the outside in. Last week, Lisa was talking about coveting. Uh, next week, we've got Gavin Calver. The week after that, Lisa's going to be doing adultery. It's <laughs> leaving it hanging there. Anyway, so we're thinking about um, the, the commandment number nine, um, which is do not bear false testimony against your neighbour. Or it's been powerful is do not lie. Yeah? Okay. So, the definition of, of lying, how about this, is a false or inaccurate statement or communication, not just a statement, but any communication meant to deceive someone. Do you agree? Yeah. Uh, it's not a trick. It's just wondering <laughs> that, we, that we are starting from the same place, okay? That this is a falsehood. This is a, this is a lie. This is an acceptable understanding of the word lie or untruth. Yes? yes. Brilliant. Okay. One of my favorite TV programs of the past 10 years or so was a program called House. I don't know if anyone's watched it, but it's about um, a a doctor in America. It was played by Hugh Laurie with an American accent, um, who's a a diagnostician. did that anyway, but apparently he kind of solves the the problems that, you know, this person's got mysterious symptoms. We don't know what it is. And if anyone knows, here's an internal joke. It's not lupus. Internal joke, sorry about that. But the thing is, he's kind of based on Sherlock Holmes. He's a bit of an interesting character, but he has a catchphrase. And his catchphrase, his philosophy of life is this. Everybody lies. Everybody lies. It's a basic truth of the human condition that everybody lies. The only variable is about what. And that's part of his his mantra, and a lot of people debate with him. That's why he doesn't speak to his patients, because he says, what's the point? They're only going to lie. So... (laughs) It's a good way to live, eh? Anyway, of course, we disagree with that, don't we? (laughs) Let's have a check about that, shall we? (laughs) Um, Because I think we might all be liars. Surely not, Phil. Phil? Oh, pantomime season's finished, hasn't it? (laughs) Sorry, I forgot! (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. I've never, we've never used that, have you? you never used that, have you? I'll be there in five minutes, 20 minutes later. Hi. Right. <laughs> Stop looking at Anne. It wasn't looking at you, but now we are. You look great in that. Or how about this? If you think you don't lie, I'm fine. And then the ultimate proof that every single one of us is a liar. I have read the terms and conditions. <laughs> okay, so are we okay to know <laughs> that with uh, these damning indictments, then in somewhere or form, we are liars? Okay, maybe not. All right, <laughs> we have one person who's honest. Okay, let's move on. Why? All kinds of lies, untruths, little white lies, um, big whopping ones. We give descriptions to them to try and justify them, but in some way or another, at some point in our lives, we have lied, we do lie, we will probably lie at some point. Why? Why is it? Because whenever I was at primary school, we weren't kind of taught A is for apple, B is for ball, L is for lie, and this is how you do it. I wasn't told how to lie, it was instinctive. To me, why do we do that? Why do we lie? Well, it's to do with fig leaves and falsehoods. Way back at the very, very beginning, Adam and Eve, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. I'm not advocating this. (laughs) Especially outside today. Why did they have no shame? Because everything was literally bare, open, wide and there was no shame. There was nothing to hide. They lived in a place of no shame. What happens? There's a, a serpent comes along, or the temptation, the tempter, says, surely not he deceives. And as a response to that deception, both Adam and Eve produce falsehoods. Did you do this? No, we'll it wasn't me, it was her. And then she goes, well, it wasn't it was the thing there, you crawled on the ground. And then all of a sudden, it's no longer that. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. They realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. They started hiding. And that's what lying is all about. That's the root of falsehood, is that we are hiding behind something. There's loads of reasons why we lie. Here are just a few of them for protection. I don't want anyone to really know me, because if they get to know me, it'll hurt. So I will present a lie. Survival from, from in primary school saying, I didn't throw the rubber, it was him. Right through to, I've made a really big mistake at work. Um, how, it, it wasn't me, it was the whole department. It, you know. Survival, if I don't deflect the attention from me, then I'm going to end up in trouble. Hurt. Someone's really, really hurt me, so I'm going to hurt them. I'm going to tell people something which isn't true about them. How about for enjoyment? How can a lie be enjoyable? Well, apparently, <laughs> gossip is a form of lying. And we might enjoy that a bit too much at times, whether we're aware of it or not. But the ultimate thing is that we lie for acceptance. We lie because if someone knew the real me or the, knew the real reason or knew that I'd messed up, I am in danger of not being accepted. I'm in danger of being found out. And so therefore, the easiest course of action is tell something which isn't 100% true. That's fundamentally why we lie. It started way back at the beginning. That's why we don't need to be taught how to do it. It's instinctive. So reminder about these 10 commandments. The important thing to remember is that these commandments are in no way a checklist of good behavior. I think for too long, the church and we and myself have considered it a checklist of how well we can do to keep God happy. Um, This week, I've got about a 60% mark. I think God should be fairly happy. Last week, it was a nightmare. It was 40%. Rubbish. It's not a checklist. Instead, the 10 commandments, the law, the teaching of Jesus are a code of conduct for the people of God. This is how we live if you are a, peop- a part of the people of God. If you don't get this, if you think of it's a checklist, you deal with works. Am I ever going to be good enough? If you deal with a code of conduct, you appreciate that you have been saved by grace and you're making a choice to live according to this code of conduct. Do you see the difference? Incredibly subtle, but incredibly important. So this is part of the code of conduct of how to be God's people. We appreciate that this commandment is important because of the power of words. Last week, when Lisa brilliantly taught us about coveting, and the fact that that was an attitudinal sin, it was about the attitude. It was kind of hidden, even though it was foundational below lots of other sins and trespasses, so to speak. This one is still a bit nebulous. It's not kind of physical. It's all words. Words. What damage can they do? I'm going to quote my favourite poet a couple of times, uh, Steve Turner. He said, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can tear your heart out. Words can cause damage. And a bit like the, the toothpaste. You, know, uh, uh, you squeeze it out of the toothpaste tube and you've got to put it back in again. It's a bit harder, isn't it? And have you ever done that where you just said something you didn't mean and you almost physically try and catch the words to put it back in your mouth again? you ever tried, not literally tried to do it, but it just feels like you want to grab it and take it back. That's the thing, isn't it? Can I take that back, what I said? Because words have power. James 3 talks about the, the power of the tongue. We know that well. And lots of Proverbs talk about the power of words. Because words matter. Words have power. And so they have to deal with whether they're true words or false words. Anyone recognize this picture of Asia Bibi? Okay. The context of, of the, the commandments, and particularly of this one, is within the Jewish uh, judicial system. Remember, this is back in a time whenever they'd just come out of Egypt. They were discovering who they were as a people. They didn't have a forensic team. There wasn't CSI Sinai. To try and work out who committed crimes. There wasn't any kind of CCTV footage you can go and look at. If there was a crime, you relied upon the witness of test of testifiers, of people who'd give testimony. And in fact, in, in Deuteronomy it says any complaint, any case needs to be presented by two witnesses, not just one. It has to be two witnesses. Because they didn't have any other kind of evidential kind of research or, you know, as I said, CCTV. They had to rely on testimony. So you can see why the importance the true testimony is so important. So important that if these two accusers were found to be telling lies, they received the punishment that they were trying to get for the other person. So for example, if I and another person had accused my friend here of killing someone, the punishment he would have deserved is death. If it finds out that we've made it up, we die. That's how serious they took people's testimony, people's witness statements. But sometimes it would often be used to try and you know, get your own back on people, and this is the case with Asia Bibi. In Pakistan, this woman who is a Christian in a very, very Muslim country, she went and collected water, as was her custom, with a bunch of other ladies who weren't Christians. And when she was coming back from the well, she dared to drink from one of the cups. And because she did that, a huge fight broke out between the Muslim ladies and herself because They're not supposed to drink with each other, not supposed to use sullied cups in that way. And the argument blew out of proportion, and then a few of these women accused Asia Bibi of blasphemy, of condemning or disrespecting the Prophet Muhammad. And because of that, she was in front of a court, and she was condemned to death. She's been on death row for years and has just been released. It's been discovered that was all vindictive. It wasn't true. They wanted to get their own back on her. So the importance of justice is that it's based on true witness. Another woman who's in the, the in, in the uh, hello in the media at the moment is this woman Fiona Anasania. Does anyone recognise her? Okay, this is uh, an MP who has just been um, sent down for a few months because she lied about a speeding ticket. She and her brother were driving a car at 40 miles an hour in a 30 zone. When the thing came through, she posted it back and said it was her brother's roommate or flatmate who lived in Russia who was the person driving at the time. This was found out to be false and you know she's been, she's been exposed as a liar. The thing that's really disappointing is this woman is a Christian. Are you disappointed in that? I was really disappointed in it because she'd let the side down. And then I realized I was an utter hypocrite. Because I have let the side down again and again and again in this area. It's just I'm not being watched by the media. It's just that it's not as public as she is. So what is it about this, the importance of this commandment which says, Do not give false testimony against your neighbor. Well, first of all, let's, let's think about the the basis of the commandments is about being the people of God. So what does it say about God? The thing is that God is truth. First and foremost, God is truth. We find out this in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 8, sorry, chapter 14, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's not just that Jesus tells the truth, It's that he is the truth. God is truth. And because he is truth, there's no way he can be false. As opposed to that, Jesus in John 8 says, Satan, the devil, was a murderer from the very beginning, not holding to the truth, for there was no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he's a liar and he's the father of all lies. Which family do you want to belong to? Which family resemblance do you want to have? Do you want to have the family resemblance of the Father who is the essence of truth? Or do you want to, as, as Jesus was accusing, have the similarities of the Father of all lies by living a life of deception? The intention is we are made in God's image, in the imago Dei, the image of God. And what is that? It's to reflect his character to the world. And if God is truth, then that's how, what we should be reflecting Numbers 23, God's not human that he should lie, He's not a human being that he should change his mind. God is truth, and we should be reflecting that in who we are. That's the first thing, why this is so important. The second thing, well, actually, this is important, like what God hates. Now, this is really strong language. What does God hate? What does he actually detest? According to Proverbs, six things the Lord hates, seven things that are detestable to God. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Out of the things, that list of six or seven, of things that God hates, two of them are taken up with falseness. A lying tongue, someone who, who gives false witness, Pouring out lies. This is important to God. Why? We read a little bit later on in Proverbs. In 25 verse 18 and in Proverbs 14 verse 5, it talks about the fact that a person who lies is like a person who stabs. Because ultimately, lies and untruth, false witness damages other people. It damages other people. And this is why it's important not just to reduce this commandment to an easy way of saying, thou shalt not lie, Because it says, don't give false testimony against your neighbor. It's important to know that this is not a nebulous thing. This is rooted in intentionality and direction. It's about someone else being hurt, affected by what you say. Because human relationships, to be positive, have the foundation of trust. Just do. They don't work. In fact... You can think about it like this. They thrive with truth. They dive with deceit. Do you like that? I'll say it again. I like that. They thrive with truth. They dive with deceit. That is a truth. And it's a truth that we see throughout our, our society with the states of, of, of relational and community breakdown. We see it not just in in. In in our society, in our community, in our church, we've seen it, the breakdown of relationships. We see the breakdown of marriages. And whatever the reason is, fundamentally, there's a breach of trust. Trust is broken. Friendships, marriages, affairs, all to do with broken trust. That is the common universal thread of breakdown of relationship. People get hurt when lies are told against others. But maybe we need to move on a little bit to think, well, in what way can my words affect someone else? And what way can lies affect someone? Um, has anyone read The Crucible or seen The Crucible by Arthur Miller? I was in this at university, or I had to grow a beard and have my hair whitened. I was one of the old guys. It was great. The story of The Crucible is, um, it was written by Arthur Miller to reflect the McCarthy communist kind of rooting out things that were going in the 1960s and how essentially they were called the witch hunts. And he, he wrote this play to reflect that society and based it around the Salem witch hunts. And what was happening in this play and what was happening in Salem is that anybody could accuse another person of witchcraft. And they were immediately hauled in front of the tribunal. And often a lot of innocent, particularly women, were killed on just the words That person is a witch. And so Arthur Miller talks about this. And just the accusation can be damning enough. But of course, you wouldn't do that, would you? You wouldn't, in this room, you're lovely people, aren't you? You wouldn't make things up about another person. However, you might gossip. How can gossip be false witness? It might be true. (laughs) Passing on a little bit of tidbit. Let me tell you, if any of your words to another person start with apparently, be careful, you're probably going to gossip. And gossip damages. It damages because you can't take it back. Because we know that mud sticks. We know if you say something about another person, whether it's true or not, it can spread. It can spread like wildfire and it's very hard to bring back in again. People's reputations have been destroyed. Churches have been destroyed through gossip, malicious gossip, which was in the terms of, listen, can you remember this in prayer? Apparently, dot, dot, dot. Be careful. Be careful with the words that we use. True or not, Does it matter? It doesn't matter whether it's true or not. Because what makes gossip a false witness is that you do not have the right to pass on that statement, whether it is true or not. So if it comes from you, whether it's true or not, you haven't got the right to do it. So therefore, it falls under do not bear false witness. You are not a witness, so therefore what you're passing on is false. If you're in a court of law, they'd say, I'm sorry, that's inadmissible, it's hearsay. And too many of us fall into this too easily, apparently. Have you heard? Ooh, did you hear? But maybe gossip's not our problem. But I wonder whether there is a problem that we can all be complicit in that's ever so subtle, that I think falls under false witness. You might disagree. Keeping up appearances. <laughs> Uh, Very sad, the guy who played... Wasn't it Richard? The long-suffering husband of Hyacinth Bucket. Um, He passed away this week, Clive Swift. Uh, Maybe that's why it was in my head, but the idea of keeping up appearances. Because uh, we live in an age of photoshopping, we live in an image-driven culture where a picture paints more than a thousand words. How many of those words can we say are absolutely true? Because as far as keeping up appearances is concerned, we... Are our own image consultants. This is uh, one of my favorite pictures of my family. Um, This is from last summer when we were in Tuscany. Uh, It's mine and Helen's anniversary. We're just about to go out for a nice meal. So we got dressed up and we made sure that we were in, in front of the really lovely backdrop of some Tuscan hills. It was a beautiful, I'm really pleased. It's a nice photo, isn't it? Affirm me, isn't it? Thanks very much. The thing is, what this doesn't show is the argument that had happened about 10 minutes earlier between myself and someone else that is now completely covered up by smiles. And I'm not saying, don't publish your photographs. I'm not saying, don't go around saying, look, isn't my grandchild really gorgeous? And the fact that two minutes before, end, he was screaming his head off. I'm not saying, don't do that. What I'm saying is, be image conscious. Because this looks like we've got the most perfect family in the world. Ten minutes earlier, my goodness, you'd be making calls to social services. <laughs> what does this convey if you're looking at this and you're feeling that your family's falling apart? The danger of bearing false witness and saying everything is perfect. Now, I'm also not saying, you know, show your dirty laundry, or, or, but just don't pretend that you don't have any. And you might be thinking, but I don't post on Facebook. Oh, that evil thing. But you turn up at church and you have a smile on your face sometimes. You are keeping up an image of a level of holiness because otherwise, what will they think of me in church? We are our own image consultants. So be careful that your image, which paints a thousand words or more, that those thousand words might not have some falseness in it that you're aware of. It can lead people to thinking, look at them, aren't they so good? I wish I was like them, but because I'm not, therefore I'm rubbish. I know because I've looked at some of those photographs. I've looked at some of your photographs and gone, oh, I don't feel as good now. And it can also lead to debt. Because you live a certain lifestyle, I can't afford that lifestyle anymore. I can't let the side down, so I'll take out another credit card. And another, and another, and another, because I can't drop this appearance. It damages, and not just people, but it damages community. In the Old Testament, as we were saying, this commandment was the basis of the justice system, and it still is the basis of our justice system. Whether you believe in God or not, you still say the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. When actually some people might actually mean no truth, half truth, and anything but the truth. We live in a very caustic society regarding trust and truth. People describe it, the commentators describe it that we live in a what's called a postmodern culture. And one of the tenets of postmodernity is the distrust of truth. That there is no overarching absolute truth. That everyone else has got their truth, my truth. Again, I'm gonna quote Steve Turner. He writes a poem called Truth Poem, and it says, There's no such thing as truth. No, not even this takes you a moment to work out what he means by that. No such thing as truth. No, not even this. We live in a time of ultimate truth relativism, relativism, where we reject the facts and the expert, and it's all about experiential opinion. And if you don't believe me, I have a very simple question to ask you. Is this dress white or gold? Or is it blue and black? Who says this dress is white and gold? Who says it's blue and black? (laughs) This dress caused a huge sensation a few years ago. A woman going to, I think it was her her son's wedding, took a photograph and sent it to her friend saying, what do you think of this dress? And the dress is actually blue and black. (laughs) No, it's not. It is white and gold. (laughs) I don't care what they say. It's white and gold, isn't it? See, Lisa says so, and she's awfully famous. It divided the, the nation. There are theses written about human color perception because of this dress. Seriously, look it up. It's fascinating. And so, what does it tell you? What does it say about you if you think it's. It doesn't matter. The truth is it was black and it was blue. But I'm still not convinced. Because opinion is more important than facts today. That's going to be on your mind all day. No, I can tell. And we live in a place of social relativism and we live in echo chambers where if, for example, on social media or the newspapers or the the friendship groups that we, we hang around in are echo chambers of our own opinions. Therefore, if we hear anything which is different, that can't be true. It's exacerbated with a presumption that everybody lies. If you don't believe that that's a presumption, just look at your next insurance premium. The presumption is that everybody lies on their insurance forms, which is why people put up their insurance premiums. The assumption that you're gonna be lying. Even when you know you're telling the truth, you think, this still sounds like I'm lying. Because you presume that's how you're gonna be seen. And we presume our politicians will lie. Except the ones that we support, obviously. We live in a society where fake news, Donald Trump, um, Conway and all this happens. This you know Conway was Trump's press secretary and she came up with this phrase, alternative facts. (laughs) That's just lies (laughs) with another name. And we we know about the whole thing about spin. We had it in the nineties, Alistair Campbell. If it's bad news, that's spin it to sound good. Fake news. It's now so blatant. And it doesn't matter if you can prove it's wrong. If my candidate says, yes, I agree. And it is polarizing. And it's not just in America. And it's not just in this vilified human being who is still beloved by God, by the way. No matter what the press say. No matter what comic things. He is still loved by God. And we need to know that. Even with his hair like that. What about in here? What about the Brexit debate? I'm sorry, but I think that was a travesty of democracy from start to finish. I'm not saying which way I voted or which way I thought. It doesn't matter. Both sides were a disgrace to democracy because all those things were based on untruths. And that is why we're in the situation we're in. Because it was not debated honestly, really honestly. It was debated through lies and manipulation and image and facts that weren't facts. And we are still in a situation where people are not being 100% true. Things might change. And so no wonder the trust in our leaders is at an all-time low. This is the culture that we live in. A culture because, um, where we, our, our trust in our, our establishments are broken. In 1938, um, Orson Welles did a radio broadcast of the War of the Worlds. And it was the 30th of October, 1938. And it was so convincing that people thought the aliens were invading. The military was um, was kind of brought into action. People were coming to the radio station. Police were coming to the radio station because of all the things that were being said. And And the reason for that is because the media format was trusted. We trust our media format it's not that we shouldn't in some ways, because that leads to a place of cynicism and paranoia, but we need to be better than truth decay. That's what's happening at the moment, a decay of truth. And it doesn't just damage our community, but it also damages ourselves. You know the quote, oh, what a tangled web we weave? <laughs> When first we practiced to deceive. Mark Twain also said that he doesn't like telling lies because he hasn't got a good enough memory to remember what he's lied about. Or something like that. Because these ruin relationships. And therefore it also ruins ourselves. It spoils reputations if we're found out. The boy who cried wolf. There's a reason why it's an important story. Nietzsche said, I'm not upset that you lied to me. I'm upset that from now on I can't believe you. That's the damage that it does to a person. And beyond that, there's the whole thing of living a lie. Habitually believing something which isn't true about yourself. Self-sufficiency. And because you lie, you maybe presume other people lie. And you believe maybe your own story. You believe your own image that you're projecting. Habitual liars always are hiding who they are. We've had the privilege of walking alongside a number of people who have who are in the middle and have come out of addictive uh, habits. What's amazing about these people is that they have had to face up to brutal truth and reality. The light of the gospel reveals who we really are. Remember those fig leaves? The light of the gospel reveals who we are. And who we are whether you're an addict or an accountant, or both. We are sinners saved by grace, by a God who loves us exactly as we are, but loves us too much to stay that way. And that's why some of these beautiful people who've just become Christians are saying, do you know what? I know I'm a broken person. I know I'm broken, but God loves me. And I think it's a better place to be than someone who's been at church for 25 years and has the right face. So quickly, how can we respond? Well, we need, as every English person knows, some tea. Four cups of tea to address this. First tea is authenticity. (laughs) I didn't see that coming. (laughs) Right, trying to recover from that, Phil, right. Authenticity, be who you are. Be who you are. Do you know what? I am so impressed that this family of believers are increasingly becoming an authentic body of believers. Someone once said to me, not that long ago, I don't like coming to the service because I end up crying because I'm so broken. And I said, listen, if you're not crying, you're the one that sticks out. Because there's a lot of authentic people here saying this is who I am. That's how God wants us to be. Be authentic. Be image conscious. What image am I projecting to people? Are you making yourself look good and knowing that there might be a negative effect against others? The whole thing, if I post this picture, will people be jealous? Authenticity, being real. Integrity, which may seem like exactly the same thing, but it's not. Integrity is that your life and your words match up. One of my favorite stories is about Gordon Selfridge. And you've probably heard it before. He founded the Selfridges' empire, he had a secretary, a private secretary who worked for him, called Gibbo. And uh, one day, Gordon Selfridge, um, a message came through and from someone he didn't particularly like, and he said to Gibbo, get back to them and say a, 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 that I'm out of the country or something. And he said, no, I won't. He said, what are you on about? I've asked you to do something. He said, no, I won't, because if I can lie for you, I can lie to you. Gibbo became one of the most treasured and trusted associates of Gordon Selfridge. That our words and our lives match up. And it can be costly, it can be risky, and do you know what? Gibbo wasn't perfect. Gibbo probably told the odd fibbo. But that was not his characteristic. Authenticity, integrity, and finally, or not finally, um, obviously, honesty. It's kind of obvious, I know, but what can we do to battle falsehood? Be honest, but this is a choice, to be honest, and sometimes it's risky, sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes you have to say, yes, your bum does look big in that, if you're brave. (laughs) Tell the truth, even if costly. And then intentionality. Because there are these other things. What about little white lies? What about jokes? What about protective lies or secrets or entertainment and stories or harmless little things, you know, things that we maybe talk about with our kids and we pretend? What about surprises? What's the intentionality behind that? I've tried to plan surprises for my life. She hates them. I still try to do them. <laughs> um, and so whenever I surprise her? And she goes, but you said you didn't go to wherever. I said, I know, I lied. She doesn't go, right, well, I'm not accepting the gift because you are a liar. (laughs) There's an intentionality about this, okay? We're not talking, this is not carte blanche, you can get away with any lie you want, but at least think about the intentionality behind it. Remember, the intentionality of, of the commandment is about against another person, Why are you doing this? In those gray areas which we often know that we sometimes fib, we sometimes lie, we sometimes let the odd untruth out. Can you defend your words before a person that it involves? Can you defend your choice of words before God? So if it is a secret surprise, can you go, yeah, I know I lied. I was getting you a present because I wanted to bless you. So I'm not saying carte blanche. that You can lie. That's not what we're saying. We're talking about what is the intentionality behind it. So back to Fiona. Do you know what? I do expect more from her. I expect more from her not because she's a, an MP. I expect more from her not because she's in the spotlight and she should know better. I expect more from her because she is a Christian. And the only thing that stops me standing here as a hypocrite is that I expect the same more of myself. I have to. I expect the same more from you because honesty, truthfulness, integrity, authenticity, these are marks of the people of God. So I expect more from her as a member of the people of God. I expect more from me as a person who says he's part of the people of God and we should expect more of ourselves as people who follow the way of Jesus. Amen.